I don't think anybody in in our era wanted to grow and be an SEO expert. Um, there there wasn't such a thing. So in today, to get the job done, knowing the tools is very important. And so. On the technology side, there are different languages. On the mobile side, there are different ways to um, get your product to that device. So there are roles that are constantly changing and skill sets that are constantly evolving. Hi, I'm Paul Miller, and this is Digital Workplace Impact, where we investigate and explore the ideas, practices, and people that are impacting the new digital worlds where we all work. Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy covering all aspects of the evolving digital workplace industry through membership, benchmarking, and boutique consulting services. And if you'd like more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. So, today's guest is Fran Pomerantz. How, how do I describe Fran Pomerantz? Um, she's based in New York City, and she has two um, components to her work, which are sort of complementary and both interesting in themselves. One of those is that she is a business coach, executive coach. Personal confession is that I've had a life coach now for must be god must be almost 20 years so from back in the days when you would never have talked openly about having a life coach i think people do now it's all kind of become a lot more acceptable um but it's really the idea of of coaching as a support in career work as i found it just in life generally i mean we have coaches in in sport we accept that as part of it but somehow we feel like we should get through our life without coaches um i've never really thought of it like that um so that's one aspect of her work and the other aspect of her work which is really interesting as well is around um executive recruitment but recruitment also into other roles particularly into digital roles and roles inside organizations that don't really exist or didn't exist so she's sort of been brilliant at filling the gaps inside the world of work in areas of discipline that have just emerged like you know user design uh, design thinking digital marketing i mean you know seo search engine optimization i mean you know there are so many fields that people work in that didn't used to exist and they're being created new and that's what fran specializes in and i think they're both really interesting i love the idea of trying to recruit into roles that are kind of invisible and it isn't obvious where you'd go finding people but she does this and she does this really successfully so it's a really interesting episode on that um level now for fran so um delighted to be joined today by fran pomerantz Fran is the founder of the Pomerantz Group, based in New York City. Fran focuses on recruiting executives in the digital space across a broad range of industries and disciplines, public companies, venture, private equity-backed firms. And in addition to recruiting, Fran also has a successful practice in coaching clients through career inflection points. She left Los Angeles in 2005 to join 
Corn Ferry International in New York. Uh, she was a partner in the media and entertainment and convergence sections of Corn Ferry's global consumer market. And she recruited senior digital media in both traditional and emerging businesses. She served on the Global Giving New York Leadership Council, which is a non-profit that directly connects donors with grassroots projects. And it's great to have you here, Fran. And and just to kind of get us going, could you just describe your unusual combination of work because it's in different parts and 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 how do you describe what you do paul thank you so much for having me today i'm happy to talk about my business as always um yes i started in retain recruitment in 95 for digital roles and about three years ago a past client came to me and said i want you to help me with my job search i said sure we'll have a coffee and he goes no 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 I'm going to pay you to coach me through my job search. So I thought about it for a long time and realized that I've been doing that um, with candidates and friends for years as part of my recruiting business and decided that I would take this person up on his offer, did a little research, wound up getting a coaching degree from um, Columbia University. And so another line of business was born. Okay, um, and so so you've got two parts of your work. One is in in the recruitment, executive recruitment, and one is in coaching. Yes, and and mm-hmm. do those two fields have a sort of skill overlap, or is it just that you're good at lots of different things and you just happen to have restricted yourself to those two? That was a very generous question, Paul. Thank you. Yes, I, I think they dovetail nicely. I think that listening to people um, talk about whether they want to stay at their company or whether they want to leave it, I help them decide whether they should leave or should stay and how do they make that transition or if they stay, how are they their best self? And I do think that helps my search business because it gives me further insight as to how candidates make decisions about their time and their readiness to seek other opportunities. So, I mean, we're going to get into the whole digital executive recruitment side, but but I'm quite intrigued because I've had a life coach myself for about 20 years now. And one of the things I've, I've discovered is that most people around me now seem to have life or business coaches. So why has this field risen so much in importance, would you say? Uh, that's a good question. I, I think that on the business front, um, we all have so much emotion tied to our decisions that sometimes we just can't get above our feelings to look at something more concretely. And I think that in the age of people recognizing the need to have either um, a a coach for swimming, a coach for exercise, a coach for um, your design. I I now hear that there are coaches to help you choose your furniture. So the, the title is kind of extending into different areas of life. And I think that the stigma of having people help you, as in a coach, therapist, has been lifted. And people who are smart realize they don't know all the answers. 
and they can reach out and have somebody help you walk through the important careers that uh, decisions you have to make in your career. Hmm. So that that would suggest to me that there's been a growing realization, maybe a sort of growing humility, which is quite interesting in business, that actually you might be paid to do a certain role, but that doesn't mean that you don't need help and support in doing that role. Exactly. Exactly. It's like executive search. Yes, people can find the people on their own, but do they have time to figure that out? Do they know where to look for that? Is that their primary goal um, in their job? And so accepting an executive coach and helping you get to the next level, I think, is the evolution of how people look at um, their career path. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and do you enjoy both the roles equally or, or do, you, do, you, do you really prefer the coaching? Uh, Another interesting question, Paul. I love both. Um, For me, the executive search is like a giant puzzle and figuring out the puzzle pieces to get to the end is still challenging and exciting to me. Um, The coaching fulfills another sort of um, bucket and, and empathetic, a getting to watch somebody grow. And that's a different satisfaction level. Hmm. Yeah, and it strikes me that the the executive search side sort of, in my mind, the picture that's coming is that that goes kind of laterally. So you, you, you're going across, you're looking at lots of different candidates, you look at different people, but coaching goes sort of vertically, it goes deep into something. So, yes, so I, what, I, I can, I, I can see how those two things fit together. And, and you know, you've had a lot of experience in the in the media entertainment section or the industry. Are there particular challenges when you're coaching people in that um, in that industry? You know, I, I think that each industry brings on a different challenge, but people come to me for roughly the same reason, and and the reason is, um, I don't know if I've, I've gotten everywhere I want to get in the company I am now in, or whether I should look for something else. And if I am to go somewhere else, how do I get there? So I find the industries to be less important than the person's stage within their industry. Any particular stories that stand out for you in your in your executive coaching? I, I, I don't mean kind of breaching confidentiality, but kind of what what are typically the sort of blind spots that people might have um, do you find? Yes, I think that's an interesting question. Somebody came to me because they felt that in their organization they weren't being heard and they weren't sure how to get the attention of the people um, that he wanted to get. Um, so we went through a lot of exercises and listened to what his day was, what the structure of the organization was. And, and he came to his own revelation about um, when to project what he was doing to a fellow um, worker at his organization and when to beat his own uh, drum to somebody higher up. But it's the, the coachee that comes to these decisions on their own just through the exploration of coaching. Does that make sense? It's not a magic bullet. They just get to see more clearly what they might be missing in our coaching conversation. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I've certainly for myself found, um, whether I call it life coaching or business coaching, because um, it, it started off very much business and then just became kind of everything. Mm-hmm. I found it really essential in the last 20 years. Um, and I've found that it's, I, I, I certainly couldn't have done, engaged, maybe achieved the things that I have if I hadn't had um, the, the one coach I've had throughout that time. Um, in fact, at times I've tried to almost think, oh, maybe it's time to change. <laughs> but, um, you know, if you've got a coach and it's working for you, sort of why, why change? So that's been my attitude. But anyway, let's, let's get into the topic that in a way brought us together, Fran, which was, so if I think about the whole digital industry and particularly the digital world of work industry, which is kind of where I spend most of my time on a work level. Um, This is an industry that even 10 years ago, certainly 20 years ago, just did not exist at all. And the roles inside it certainly didn't exist. And I'm often working with people whose roles didn't exist even five years ago. So, how do you go about recruiting into a sector that e- hasn't even sort of established itself and sort of agreed on what the roles are? That's a really good point. Most often the roles that I put into a company, as you point out, never existed before. So the first thing is trying to ascertain what it is the role needs to accomplish forgetting the title, forgetting anything else, to whom will this uh, role be responsible to, who will it interact with, and really, why now do you need that role? And it takes a lot of doing to get to that point. You know, most searchers are repeating um, uh, the role. Uh, Somebody's leaving, and so you, you backfill the role with another CFO, and most of the time you want that role to do exactly the same thing as the last CFO. And let's take the digital marketing realm for a minute. What what does digital marketing even mean? You know, is that a product person, a salesperson, an SEO person? What's the uh, majority of their um, workload going to be? So in the beginning, it's very important to work with the business owner to establish what the role is. Then to figure out... Um, because titles are irrelevant these days, that they're not congruent. If you go to a media and entertainment company and you ask for a daytime producer of morning television, everybody knows what the role does, to whom it reports, and how much money it makes. If you ask um, to place a digital marketer in a consumer company, a media and entertainment company, a financial services company, that role has different meetings across each vertical and within each sector. So again, the most important part for, for me on the recruiting side is determining what the role is and um, then deciding who has the best credentials to make that role um, happen. And, and if you think of something, I mean, a, a field that I've been heavily involved in is what's called digital workplace. So those are people um, responsible for all of the different online technologies, intranets, collaboration tools, mobile technologies. It's its a vast industry. And in fact, you know, during the whole COVID-19 crisis, 
you know, the importance and essential nature of that has been kind of really brought to the fore. I mean, how do you sort of then try and think, if you're looking for somebody who's a director in this field, how do you know where to, in a way, where to start? Good question. So having done this for so many years, um, I start with the people that I know and describe what the problem is and then narrow down to some people that have solved this problem in the past or have the skill set to possibly solve it going forward. But I will tell you, one of the first things I look for in finding the correct candidate for my client is a cultural fit. I've learned over and over again that it doesn't matter if you're really brilliant. If you don't uh, work in the correct culture for that brilliance, nobody will hear you. And so it's most important that we start with a cultural fit and then back out um, what the skill set is, what the accomplishments have been. And sometimes, particularly in the digital space, and Paul, maybe you'll agree, bringing somebody from another industry gives a very fresh perspective on what that role should be in any given industry. Hmm. I mean, does it make it particularly challenging? Because you you compared it with, say, you know, getting a daytime producer in on, on on a TV show where people know what what's what, the people who are applying know what's involved, the people who are recruiting know what's involved. I mean, it seems to me quite tricky if you're trying to find somebody to be in charge of enterprise collaboration inside. Uh, somebody like Unilever or Wells Fargo and and you're shopping from such a sort of broad area the chances of a sort of somebody who doesn't quite fit seem quite high to me you are exactly right it is a lot to chew and that's why I love my work it's never the same twice it's always trying to figure out I'm doing a search now for a senior level uh, marketer in a commercial real estate company And you can just imagine with COVID-19 what's going on in the commercial real estate company. However, to their credit, they realize that if they don't adapt and become more, I will say in quotes, digital and have different ways for their brokers to communicate with potential clients, then they're not going to survive. So it's become an entirely um, a higher push and more urgent that they fill this role. Um, I think that as you stated earlier, the technology and, and companies perhaps with legacy systems that have, you know, chugged on with their legacy systems as opposed to adapted to new technology are now all hands on deck trying to figure that out. Um, so I find it a fascinating time, although a little bit scary, to see how companies are going to pivot to accept um, going forward in this environment. Mm. And I can imagine that your coaching skills come in really useful in this because, you know, let's say you've got somebody and I'm seeing it happening around the industries and the organizations we're dealing with. They're trying to think through, well, if we're going to have a partially remote or fully remote workforce for months, years, forever, um, what new roles do we have? And partly you know, there's a lot more questions and answers. And I imagine, do you, do you have people who are coming to you and saying, look, we need somebody to do X. And you sort of dig into it a little bit more and you say, well, actually, is it really that role that you need? Aren't What I hear you saying is you need somebody 
like this. And that feels to me a little bit more like something slightly different. Paul, have you been in the room with me? I don't remember seeing you, but those are exactly <laughs> the conversations. <laughs> and does that mean that you need I, I, you need clients who are sort of open to, I don't know if it's persuasion or open to kind of taking your advice about where they should go with these I, things? I think that I'm most successful when somebody views me as a partner and not a vendor. And it's a collaboration of what they need and what I know is in the marketplace. And that's what drives me. It's exciting. It's it's not the same job over and over again, and it's not filling the same role and switching out people. It's really trying to figure out with the client, you know, what's most important to move the role forward. Hmm. No, it's really interesting. And I, I think that um, it, I, I'm, I don't know if this is true. Maybe it's just my kind of prejudice, but is the recruitment industry generally quite a conservative industry and 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 therefore probably less open to these quite malleable and flexible approaches that that clearly you bring to this emerging technology digital field yes i I believe um you know working with startups quite different than working with legacy brands um but generally by the time they're really ready to commit to pay for help they really are serious about what the role needs to be. And then, of course, once they've decided what it is, they need it faster than, than ever before. That's great. Yeah. And, and um, I mean, what are the, the main challenges that you find in executive recruitment for, for digital roles? And, and as you've been saying, they're really changing at a pace that I've never seen, certainly within the workplace industry uh, ever. Right. You know, again, the marketing role is one of those that have changed significantly. For example, marketing used to be a below the line um, uh, revenue line in a business plan. Today, it's a revenue generator in e-commerce companies, which which looks at that role completely differently than it ever had before. So, again, it, it requires the person to whom that role is going to report to to understand where that fits into their organization. Um, I, I find it, you know, I've been doing this since 95 and started in the media and entertainment industry, as you pointed out, and there they had content and the idea in all these companies was to distribute the content and get paid for it. So that was a natural progression with the internet, which is another distribution channel that they were kind of first to market. And what did that look like? Um, and now as every company has embraced um, the digital world in whatever way you want to look at that. Um, e-commerce is another distribution channel for revenue. And if you back up, what is the company goal and how do you get to revenue? Then you can kind of look at the positions needed today to get that revenue. Just another way of looking at it. Yeah. And um, would you say that there are new roles being invented at the moment? And and, and how is that ch- how is how is that changing the the world of work? Oh yes, I mean, I don't think anybody in in our era wanted to grow and be an SEO expert. Um, there there wasn't such a thing. So in today to get the job done, knowing the tools is very important. And so 
on the technology side, there are different languages. On the mobile side, there are different ways to um, get your product to that device. So there are roles that are constantly changing and skill sets that are constantly evolving. You mentioned the, this topic of fit and, and cultural fit. How do you kind of work out whether somebody's going to have a cultural fit um, with an organization? I think the word fit is key here. For example, if you freak out having 10 meetings to decide when the meeting is, that's probably not a good environment for you. And if you are normally working in an environment where there are 10 meetings to decide the meeting, going to a company that tests and learns and fails over and over again is probably not a comfortable situation for you. So it's all about your comfort level with an environment as to where you're going to fit in best and be most productive. Yeah, I mean, and I certainly know for myself um, and probably why going back sort of 15 years, I never really got on with the recruitment field. Obviously, if I'd known about you, it would have been completely different, but that's that's as it is. Um, but, but, but at that time, I was trying to kind of grow a business in a completely new sector, the digital workplace. And we've now got up to about 120 people in the company. And, and the way that we've grown has just has very much been through connections, networks, and the fit aspect has been key. One of the things that we've done um, in, inside the digital workplace group is, is grow through recommendations. Um, and one of the things I've noticed happening, I mean, I had a, a, a somebody who used to work for the company who had left, joined another company um, in Florida. He got um, made redundant a couple of weeks ago, went onto LinkedIn, was connecting with different people. And by the end of the week, had got a, a, a really good position at a major technology company. Um, and And it just sort of happened through conversation. Um, is that sort of disintermediating the the executive recruitment function or is it is it amplifying just sort of a part of a process that that that's happening anyway? So I think that's an excellent question. I think that if you look statistically, um, 96 percent of jobs that people get are through their own networks. Um, the recruiters generally on my level are hired when it is one of those roles that it's not obvious. And how are they going to do it? And their own company had not hired this role before. So using their own recruiters is difficult. Um, they, they don't know what to look like. And as I noted before, even if you look at somebody's LinkedIn profile or a resume, it, it's hard to understand what they've done if you are not doing this kind of work all the time. It's not that obvious. So hopefully we still have a role um, going forward. Um, but I do acknowledge that most people um, find their next role through their referral network. Unfortunately, most people, are, their heads are down and they're working so hard, they don't often spend as enough time building that network as they could. Hmm. Yeah, and, and that's the key thing, isn't it? I mean, you know, you've got the network an organization or, or, or somebody hiring may have the network, probably unlikely to have an extensive network. Um, I, mean, I mean, what 
power because a, a lot of the digital roles that have grown to such significance inside organizations <clears throat> have really developed, you know, a lot in the recent years. Well, what power do digital roles have today, would you say? Oh, well, I think that, again, with COVID, um, it's more important than ever. And I think that um, the biggest change I've seen is in the marketing role, uh, it not being, it being revenue generating. And I think on the technology side, keeping up with the different languages, tech languages is most important. But again, having the overall strategy, a, a lot of roles in the digital space are a small slice of something, but really understanding how that fit into a 360 look at an organization is crucial. Um, when we look at a, uh, I, I don't know still why we have a digital marketer position, because if you're a marketer and you don't understand digital, you can't be doing your job, but it still is, or a chief digital officer. I think that everybody in the organization needs to understand that component part as it um, affects their role in the organization. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, and certainly we've we've written quite a lot about this topic of digital literacy, digital leadership, making your digital presence felt. And um, I think I'd be kind of, it's accurate to say that it's not a skill set that every leader has. I, I agree with that. And, and I think the mark of an excellent leader is surrounding yourself with people who have what you don't have. Just uh, explain a little bit more what you mean. Uh, so if you're looking, as I'm um, just building on what you had said about not every leader has this digital piece or chops or understanding. And I think the only way to support that going forward is to hire the expert in that and make sure that that's the person you rely on for that information. Mm, yeah, no, I think that's, that's absolutely true. And I think that, you know, the... Uh, the virus has really revealed um, it's almost like when the tide goes out and you see what's kind of on the beach. And, and I think organizations have seen in lots of ways, their own strengths and cultural strengths and probably learned things about themselves that they didn't realize they had um, ability to connect, communicate, collaborate. But it's also, I think revealed where, where organizations really struggle to communicate communicate connect with people and um one of the groups of people that i find the most intriguing in 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 our sector are digital workplace leaders who are kind of senior middle managers um they're really ambitious to kind of rise up the organization but there isn't like an obvious career track they don't necessarily want to become the cio and in lots of ways i think they could develop you know, to become CEOs in the organization, given what their skill set is. What, what's your advice to people who find themselves in that already successful, but wanting to progress more kind of position? You know, that's, that's an interesting um, question and observation. I think that years ago, there was a career trajectory in organizations. First, you were here, then you were here, then you were there. And I think in today's world, um, you have a, a certain knowledge set and you express it in the company, you often have to go to the next company to get to the next level up. Um, people see you as you enter the company. They often don't see the growth that you've achieved being in the organization. 
and often leaving to a, a more senior role in another organization is the role to get recognized and build to the ultimate goal of CEO. I, I also think that um, young people and young managers who are ambitious um, really need to listen um, more and listen again. And it's okay not to know the answer to every problem. You just need to know where to get those answers. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's 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 good advice. And I think um, there's a different set of skills involved in these digital roles. They're often around influence, network within the organization, um, the ability to kind of manage different groups, manage people above you. And, and and in the same way that you're saying, with a lot of synthesize, synthesizing of complexity and trying to deal with things that, you, you know, that, that other people might find quite challenging. Um, I mean, we touched on the fact that we're recording this still in the middle of kind of periods of lockdown in lots of different countries in Europe and North America. Um, do you feel that, you know, kind of looking forward, do you feel like we're going to go into a period where, people are going to kind of hunker down and if you like cling to the jobs that they've got or is there going to be a period of lots of shifting of roles and organizations and innovation where where's well how's this going to kind of go for the for the field that you're involved with paul i think that's that's the question um, what I'm getting now from the people I speak to is that if they have a job and, and on the senior level, everybody's working 12-hour days. They're trying to figure out how to trim their company, pivot their company, redirect their company, and come up with solutions faster than ever. How are they going to differentiate their company from others? Um, I think this is a time when you see things accelerating and not so much changing for example, in the retail space, uh, retail stores have been on the decline for years. I think this has accelerated their demise. And I believe that e-commerce that's been on the upswing, this is the opportunity to customize the experience for someone, find that personal shopper online, create content directed at that buyer. And so I think each kit situation has a mission to move itself forward, and it's been shown more clearly in these particular times. Hmm. But do you think it's also kind of, there's a bit of a danger that in the need to kind of act fast, that the people get into a panic and make, you know, it's always the danger of making poor decisions and the ability to try and think forward strategically is really important. Uh, agreed. And, and I think that this um, time is sort of mirroring more of the startup uh, experience of test and learn and fail. Um, I, I think that the danger of standing still can mean the demise of your business. And I don't mean to sound dramatic, but I'm watching different sectors. The hospitality, um, for example, restaurants, how are they going to come back? How are they, you know, restaurant um, suppliers are now selling to private people. Everybody's trying to do something to keep afloat. And it, it reminds me of that silly book or great book, Who Moved the Cheese? Who Moved My Cheese? If you're not out there scouting for a new solution, I think hoping everything is going to come back could be disastrous. But I certainly hear what you're saying. You can't throw everything at it 24-7. There has to be some strategy. What characteristics do you think that the 
the kind of most successful digital leaders and executives are going to have during this, I think, next period, which I think is going to be challenging for probably the next five years. Agreed. I, I think that these leaders have to understand all facets of a business. Sometimes one had the luxury of understanding finance, but they didn't have to understand the marketing piece necessarily. I think in today's world, each area spills into the next area. And unless everybody is on board, the success won't be there. Um, I think that digital leaders are translators. They have to understand what the technology people are saying and what everybody is saying and where they fit in. I think that they have to understand how these new communication channels are going to add to revenue and what it's going to take for them to build those channels. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and other things that I sort of think just to kind of build on that, that I think are going to be really important is, 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 is kind of adaptability, agility, um, not getting too attached to a certain way of doing things. You've just described the perfect background for any digital executive is that they have to be far more nimble and they have to be curious and they have to ask questions and it isn't the status quo. Um, I, I think that asking questions really is a different level in an executive on a digital side than perhaps a traditional person that sees the playbook and plays the playbook. We're almost inventing the playbook as we go forward on the digital side. Would you agree? Absolutely. And I think, as you said, it's an accelerant. And, you know, I mean, we've been asked because my company's been working virtually as a fully distributed company for best part of 20 years. And I just see what's happening now as an accelerator of what has already been happening but but one of the things that i mean i've been trying to i suppose kind of give some advice welcome or otherwise to my three daughters or all in their 20s uh-huh. and i think the kind of you know because you know i'm asking myself what kind of economy are they operating in where's it going to go and i think the only thing you can do is really try and be opportunistic adaptable flexible test things see what works see what doesn't work because you know when you're surrounded by huge amounts of change rippling through the society through the economy through ways of living i mean i've got my eldest daughters um who actually like you is a is uh well she's a life and business coach not yet an executive uh, coach but she's doing really well and and she said, actually, one of the things she's been learning through the whole COVID experience is that things have been slowing down, not on a business level, but just the pace of life. And as she put, why, why would we want to speed up again? Why would we want to keep running at that rate? And I think that that different mindset, which I think won't just affect individuals, but will affect organisations, I think could be very interesting. I'm quite intrigued by the idea of how you could, in a way, keep um, functioning well as an organization without, if you like, getting into the usual kind of panic and, and rushing around and the endless busyness. You know, is it possible to work in a way that's more deliberate, uh, perhaps more effective? Um, what, what, what would you say the... Um, 
kind of main lessons are you'd like to kind of, if you like, give to people who are listening to this, quite a lot of whom will be these young, ambitious digital leaders inside organizations or practitioners who are wanting to get on? What's what's your kind of advice to them um, for the next few years? So I, I think um, we're now sort of all on a level playing field. There are many companies that couldn't afford to send their people to expensive conferences. Now nobody's going to those conferences. Oftentimes the sales guy had the charisma in the room and that was a secret weapon. Well, now no one's going into the room. So I think it's an opportunity to level set different skills um, working in a um, virtual kind of world. And everybody is having the same um, plan at the same time. It's not as if your colleagues can all go and you can't. And, and so I think it's a time to reflect on how do we get business done, as you were saying, at what pace does that happen? What does that look like? And again, everybody is, it's a level playing field for the first time. Hmm. That's a really interesting way of seeing it. And it's, it's you know, as you say, there are kind of industries that are, are kind of disappearing, really. I mean, you know, you mentioned the public event conference industry. Where's that going? But that doesn't mean the need that it fulfilled has gone away. It's just that it can't be met through the format that's offered, which, you know, an entrepreneurial level and, a, and an opportunistic level is an interesting kind of conundrum and a puzzle to solve. So the question I always like to end the podcast with, Fran, is... Um, so what's your perfect working day? Oh, that's easy. My perfect working day is that every candidate the client wants says yes, and everyone on both ends of the deal are thrilled. And my coaching clients have all achieved their temporary goal of the week. Wow. What I love about your answer is most people answer, well, I usually get up, I do this and I do that. But yours is so kind of focused on what you do. I think that's brilliant. Where all the all the planets align. One of those days where everything works. Exactly. That would be the pinnacle for me. Great. And and I'm going to have a, a an extra question after my final question. That so that was my final question. So this is this is the question the the final final question which is how has the the whole kind of virus experience on a work level has it made you think about changing the way you work at all? So I think that's an interesting question Paul. I work from home and I meet candidates um I actually meet them at the Four Seasons Hotel, and in New York, we, we have not had the Four Seasons Hotel, which actually did turn its rooms over to um, emergency workers, which was quite nice. Um, so I, I miss looking at somebody physically um, across a table and having that interaction. I guess the video is the next best thing, which I've used when I can't meet with somebody in person. So for me, it really hasn't changed that much, but I do miss seeing people in person quite a bit. Okay, great. Well, thank you so much, Fran. That's been fantastic to, to have you on today. And, and thanks so much for your time and what a great conversation. Oh, Paul, you made it so easy. I loved it. Anytime. 
Digital Workplace Impact is produced by the Digital Workplace Group, a strategic partner and boutique consultancy supporting more than 100 leading businesses and public institutions to advance their intranets and broader digital workplaces through benchmarking, research and practitioner expertise. For more information, visit digitalworkplacegroup.com. And if you'd like to listen to previous episodes of the show, go to digitalworkplacegroup.com forward slash DWG underscore podcast. This is Paul Miller wishing you well until next time.